Welcome to the Grace Chapel podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We're so glad you're here. Before we get started, we want to remind you of the importance of being connected into a local church body. Podcasts are a gift from God, but are meant to be supplemental and not substitute or replace the gathering of the saints in worship in the word. With that being said, we pray that this teaching would bless you, equip you, and encourage you in your walk with Christ. Yeah, so before we get to lighting of the candles, I just want to say, I love Advent. I grew up in the church. I have, um, we've, we've observed Jesus' birthday my whole life, but probably about seven or eight years ago, I started personally just looking through Advent, staying in the scriptures daily and, and looking at the story of Jesus' birth from like the prophecies of old to the, the current, not current, this happened 2,000 years ago. <laughs> But the time, the time of Jesus' birth and what was happening in the world at that time, happening in Israel. And um, I just, as I was pondering about it this week and thinking on what Advent means, like we talk about the cross, that is, that's our salvation. And we talk about, you know, the resurrection, and that's our hope. But we don't get the cross without the cradle. And so it's so important to be able to sit and marvel at the, the incredible truth that God, the Almighty, was born a human. It's staggering. It's actually really incredible when you stop and you think about it and you marvel at it. It's astounding. I know I'm making lots of sounds, Andrew. Sorry. There's a, there's a quote from J.I. Packard that I want to read that I feel like really encapsulates this thought. He said, God became man, the divine son became a Jew, the Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. The babyhood of the Son of God was a reality. And the more you think of it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is the truth of the incarnation. It's astounding. And I mean absolutely no condemnation by this, but like the truth of Christmas, the truth of the incarnation, it really doesn't need anything else added to it. Like fat guy in a red suit coming down a chimney or somehow appearing in a house that has no chimney, that is no more astounding than this. The truth of the incarnation is incredible. And Jake taught last week on hope and something he said was the voice of hope prepares us for the arrival of Christ. And this week we're going to talk about faith. And faith really begs the question, are, are you going to believe this? Do you want to put your hope in Christ, in Jesus? And so we're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to talk about people throughout the Christmas story that showed incredible faith. And so we're going to light the candles. And first one's hope. So we'll, we'll see about this. Maybe. All right. The hope candle, also known as the prophet's candle. And then here is the faith candle, also known as the Bethlehem candle. And let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for coming to redeem us back to the Father. Thank you for your love for us that you would do that. God, would you open the eyes of our heart, the eyes of our understanding, 
that we would be able to see with the eyes of faith, Lord, and we would be able to walk that long road in faith and joy and peace, all of the things that you came to give us, Lord. Give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear, and in your name we pray, amen. All right, so we're going to start this morning with Joseph, and I feel like Joseph is one of the unsung heroes of the Christmas story. We talk so often, and rightly so, about Mary, but let's talk about Joseph. There's, there's not a whole lot that's known about him. Um, we know him as a carpenter, and he was actually more than that. There's a Greek word that is called tekton, and it actually means that he would have been skilled in carpentry, engraving, and stonemasonry. And architectonos, the word where we get architect, would be a master builder. Author Paul Wright, Paul H. Wright, he said this about Joseph. He said he was part builder, part architect, part contractor, and part artisan. He was a jack of all trades. He could do all kinds of things. But what's interesting about Joseph is the fact that we have no recorded words in the scripture from Joseph. I hadn't really thought about that until I was sitting and looking through all the stories where he's appearing. We don't have any written words from Joseph, and yet his character speaks loud and clear. And so the first place where we're going to find Joseph, if y'all want to turn with me, we're going to go to Matthew 1, and we're going to start in verse 18, and I'm going to grab water. All right, Matthew 1, starting in 18. The birth of Jesus came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. I want to pause right there and just say this. He's a man of great mercy, I mean, can you imagine? I feel like it's easy, it's easy at least for me to forget. These are real people. This isn't just a flannel graph or a, a sweet story of old. This is real life. Can you imagine just the heartache of being engaged to your young bride and you guys are imagining your life together and your future and she comes to you and she tells you, I'm with child and you know that's not from me. How heartbreaking and how heart-wrenching that would be. And you see his mercy here because in that time, she could have been dragged through the streets and brought before the spiritual leaders, and she could have been stoned to death for this. But I love seeing his mercy, him being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, not wanting to drag her name through the mud. He's deciding and wrestling through, well, how do we secretly come away from this? Well, let's keep reading Matthew 1.20. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. 
what I first was thinking about as I'm reading that, Mary got the angel Gabriel right before her very eyes in her home or wherever it was that she was. Joseph receives a dream and how easy it could have been to write that off. Maybe I ate something weird last night. Or even to wrestle with the Lord. I just was even amazed that like, you know, God appears to Moses in a burning bush and there's arguing that happens. You know, there's a, I'm not good with words. There's no argument there. He's a man of action. He's a man of faith. He decides to take action. And if y'all remember back to when we talked this summer about the book of James and in James 2, you know, he says, faith without works is dead. And in fact, faith without works is no faith at all. And James goes on to say, you'll know me, you'll know my faith by my works, by what I do with it. Joseph wakes up and he marries her, says, okay, this is what it is. This is right. This is true. I'm believing you, Lord. I'm trusting in you. And then they go forth. And y'all know the story. They, they travel to Bethlehem for the census. I think a lot of times pictures are shown. It's just the two of them wandering the lonely 80-mile road, just the two of them. It's not. It's a census. And so they would have been with a whole ton of people traveling back to Bethlehem. They're not, they're not sojourning alone here. Um, but when they get there, think about the faith that it's taking as you're seeing all these people coming to the same small town for the census. No wonder there's no room at the inn. But here's the deal. That word inn actually translates as it's a room in a private home. It's a guest room. And often the way that the, the houses were situated is it kind of be like a three-story situation where you've got your main home on the main floor Below, you've got where you keep your animals and stuff. And then up above, up on that flat roof, you'd also have a guest room. And so when it's saying there's no room in the inn, yeah, that's because everybody has come back to Bethlehem for this sentence, and there is no room. Think of the faith that's having to stir in him. All right, God, I'm, I'm doing what's called of me, what's required. You gotta provide. And somehow, Joseph convinces a family to let them use their stable as a birthing suite. And I can't imagine what's going through him and Mary both as this is taking place. But I want to move into the next time that we see him with another dream. We're going to go into Matthew 2, starting in verse 13. After they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Let me say this. The they there is the wise men, and we will get to them in a little bit. But this is after they have gone, they have visited Herod, and then they've come, and they have worshipped at the feet of Jesus. It says, after they were gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and stay there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, and he took the child and his mother during the night and escaped to Egypt. And he stayed there until Herod's death, so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I called my son. What a wild thing. Not only are you having to pick up, and probably a year and a half to two years at this point is how old Jesus is, and, and leave the place where now you've established you know, community with people, probably also have family surrounding you as this is where Joseph is from and you're having to flee to a foreign land and Egypt mind you Egypt is kind of an interesting thought because thinking of the history of Jews in Egypt and being called out of Egypt 
first and foremost, because of the slavery that was happening there. Egypt seemed like an interesting place to me. But I want to make note of God's faithfulness to them ahead of time. Because after the fall of Alexander the Great, that whole region was ruled by Greeks. And actually a lot of Jews coming out of the, the exile back home from, um, from Babylon, there's a whole lot of Jews that are, are staying and living in Alexandria. This is probably where the small family of three is, is staying. But I love God's faithfulness ahead of time. Preparing a place. Yes, you have to flee, but you're going to find refuge in this place where it used to be lots of enmity there, but there's refuge here. God's gone ahead of them in his faithfulness. And Joseph, no matter what, he was faithful to the Lord to get up and leave. And the next time we see him, once again, is in another dream. And so let's continue reading. After, this is picking up in verse 19. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt now, saying, get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, because those who intend to kill the child are dead. And so he got up and took the child and his mother and entered the land of Israel. But when he heard that Achaeus was ruling over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the region of Galilee." Then he went and settled in a town called Nazareth to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets, and he would be called a Nazarene. Joseph is a man of obedience. I mean, I feel like that would be something to feel like, man, Lord, we're just yanking around, going to and fro. He's not complaining. He's being obedient to the Lord. He's faithful to God. And he goes and is led. And and what I was realizing as I'm sitting there kind of studying for this week is, There's prophecies that are coming to pass. Out of Egypt, I call my son. He'd be called a Nazarene. Joseph is not thinking of prophecies of old. And yes, so we're going to go to Nazareth now because it says that the son of God is going to be a Nazarene. He's not doing that. He's just faithfully putting one step, one foot in front of the other, following the Lord. And there's prophecies that are coming to pass in his obedience. And I think that's really sweet. Joseph is a man of obedience. He's a man of faith. So now we're going to switch gears, and I want to kind of do another character study of someone else, a couple people here, um, that show just great faith. We're now going to turn to Luke 2, kind of more of our typical Christmas passages, and we're going to start in verse 22. And when the days of their purification, according to the law of Moses, were finished, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Just as is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. As I was reading that, so these, these two young pigeons, these two turtle doves, it's a sacrifice for the purification and for sin. And I thought, That brings brand new context to on the second day of Christmas, my true love gave to me two turtle doves. That was kind of bizarre. Uh, Anyways, 25. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah. And guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to perform for him what was customary under the law, 
Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and glory to your people Israel. We don't know how old Simeon is, but I just was thinking about how long has he been carrying around this word of hope in his heart? That's a lofty word. You're not going to taste death until you see in the flesh the Messiah. What a word to carry. But he carried it with hope. And I just was thinking about the fact that he so knows his father in heaven. He has such an intimate relationship with him that when this young poor couple comes in and brings their child before him. I mean, how many babies has this man blessed in all his years? How many babies has he, he, he had in his arms and he's blessed them? And yet this child he knows is not like any other child. This is him. This is the one I've been waiting for. The one that we've been waiting for. This is Israel's consolation. And I don't think that that was a very quiet realization as he's saying this praise to the Lord, this thanksgiving. I'm sure there was quite a stir happening in the temple. And there's someone else who is within earshot and she comes to check it out. And I want to skip down a little bit and pick up in 36. There was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Fenwell of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. And at that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She's probably in the court of women, but hearing this stir, here he is. It's Israel's consolation. And she comes and she checks it out. And something that I want to note, Anna's a woman of faith. She has carried this, she suffered terrible heartache. It says she was married to her husband for seven years. And then she was widowed for 84. But Anna doesn't run from God, but further hides herself in him. She never leaves the temple. She's further consecrated herself to the Lord and his service. And because of this, this intimate relationship that she has with the Father, she too has the eyes to see. She has the eyes of faith to come and bear witness. This is him. This is the one we've been waiting for. He's Israel's consolation. Augustine has a, um, something that he said on this that I just, I was taken back by. He says, Simeon, and I would add Anna, Simeon is privileged to see Jesus in the flesh, but this is the same way everyone sees Jesus when they grasp him with the eyes of faith. This is our reality too. And how much more like post-resurrection, post the Holy Spirit being poured out upon all flesh, making his home in us who believe, we can grasp Jesus the same way. I don't have to see him to know that he's with me. I don't have to physically to be standing near him to feel his arms of comfort wrapped around my shoulders or to feel just the elation of being in his presence. It kind of reminds me of 
I'm sure you all have experienced this too. You might be talking to somebody and you're just now meeting and you don't know if they're a believer, but that thing that just rises up within you, that deep calling unto deep, just the spirit within you, like, that's a brother, that's a sister. The Lord is within them. I feel like that had to kind of be a little bit of what was happening as they look into the face of this baby. Oh, that's him. But it takes eyes of faith. It takes faith to see this. I want to look at something that um, Simeon said over Mary. If we go back a little bit to verse 33. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed. And a sword will pierce your own soul, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. We talked about Mary last week. I feel like we can't talk about faith within the Christmas story without mentioning Mary here. So if we can rabbit trail just for a minute. She is the only person recorded in scripture that was with Jesus from his birth to his first miracle in Cana, turning the water to wine, to his death on the cross, to his resurrection. God in his goodness allowed Mary to see the scope of the child's life whom she bore. She got to see Jesus's life the scope of that on earth. And I can't imagine the great faith that it took to bear the responsibilities that she did from being a young, unwed girl between like 13 and 15 years of age. I mean, that's, that was the normal time of, of getting married at that, that time. I know that seems wild to us, but I mean, that was, that was normal. But y'all, she's, she's a young teenage girl and she hears you're going to bear a child, oh, and no pressure, it's the son of God. <laughs> I mean, y'all know, if you're a parent, you know that every day of parenthood, that's faith, that's stretching. We have to rely upon the Lord every day. I can't imagine also that, no- that knowledge of this child that we're raising, this is the son of God. <laughs> and it took faith when they're walking around like, where's Jesus? As they're pilgriming back to home from Jerusalem. For the, and they're like, where's Jesus? We've been gone three days. Where, where's Jesus? They go back and they find him in the father's house. I love, there's a phrase there and it, it shows up a couple times with Mary where she's witnessing something and it says that she pondered on these things. She molded them over. She meditated on them. I love that she, she kept these things in her heart is what it says. I feel like that's wisdom far beyond her years. But I, I think as she sat and she would, she would think on these things, faith would just continue to rise in her. God's got him. God's got him. But can you imagine the faith that it took watching your firstborn bear what he bore? The spitting and the beating and all the humility, humiliation that he experienced to be standing by and watching this happen and then standing at the foot of the cross. Did Simeon's words 
come back to her remembrance and a sword would pierce your own soul. Took great faith to bear that. And her faith was not without fruit. Jesus did die for our sins. She died. He died for her sins, right? But he rose again. I love that she got to just witness this whole scope of, of his life here. She was an ordinary girl, but she had extraordinary faith. And y'all know, there's some denominations that kind of will put it out there, that act like she's the fourth person of the Godhead, but she's not. She was an ordinary girl. Isn't that a cool thing that our God chooses ordinary people to do extraordinary things? I mean, that's, that's exciting. That's hope-filled. But there's something that, a scripture that I think is really interesting. In Luke 11, Jesus has just cast out demons, and there's someone in the crowd. It says, as he was saying these things, a woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the one who nursed you. And he said, well, rather, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. That's not a slam against Mary at all because actually she is one who heard the word of God and she kept it. She was faithful to the road that the Lord laid before her. But it's an invitation to us. I love that. She's not singled out as like holier than thou and like that's an invitation to all of us. The Lord has has things for all of us to take charge of and, and to follow him in. And we are blessed when we walk in that type of faithfulness, obedience. Go into kind of our last little character study here. If you want to go back to Matthew 2, we'll start in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. Well, in Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. And after hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen at its rising, and it led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy, and entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they return to their own country by another route. All right, so the wise men. So unlike our nativity scenes and our songs of We Three Kings, there's more than three of them. And they are not kings, though some call them kingmakers. They are magi. And if you think back, 
the chief magi is Daniel. Remember, in Nebuchadnezzar's court, he summons his wise men and says, here's the dreams that I'm having, please interpret them. And they can't. And Daniel is the only one by the power of the Holy Spirit who can interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. And so he puts him in charge of all of the wise men. And I just think that it's interesting that, you know, over the past 600 years at that point, kind of the main texts that they are immersing themselves in are the writings of Daniel. Ones, yes, that we have, but surely ones that we don't. But they are students of Daniel. And they've traveled at least a thousand miles from Persia. And at most it took two years, probably more than a year and a half. But this is why Herod asks when he hears, oh, a king has been born. Okay, when did that star appear? That's why he said, we're going to kill the babies that are two years old and younger, the firstborn males. So they've traveled for all this time. That takes great faith. Again, these are real people who have seen a phenomenon in the sky. They're astrologists, astronomers. Kind of was the same thing back then, right? <laughs> they study the skies, is my point. And they know the scriptures, like Numbers 24, 17, of I see him, but not now. I perceive him, but not near. A star will come from Jacob, and a scepter will arise from Israel. He will smash the forehead of Moab and strike down all the Shethites. They know things that were written in the Torah. They've studied them because Daniel would have studied them. He would have known. But I called my dad, and I just was like, okay, what are, what are some of the other scriptures, other writings that they would have been immersed in heading out on this trek? Because that's, that's a long trek. It's a long time to kind of put the rest of, you know, your your life on hold and hop up on the camels and head on out. And dad was reminding me, well, kind of the main spine of their curriculum is Daniel's writings. But think about what Daniel says of the creator of the universe in his writings. And so I'm going to read some things for you from Daniel. Just kind of have in your mind these things that they would have been well-versed in. So if you want to close your eyes, just kind of imagine what the Magi have been thinking of and dwelling on as they're making this trek. I'm going to read first from Daniel 7. And as I kept watching, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white like snow, and the hair of his head like whitest wool. His throne was flaming fire, and its wheels were blazing fire. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from his presence, and thousands upon thousands served him. Ten thousands times ten thousands stood before him. The court was convened. The books were opened. And I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one, like a son of man, was coming with the clouds of heaven, and he approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom so that those of every people and nation and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. And then just two more verses from Daniel 10. I looked up and there was a man dressed in linen with a belt of gold from Uphaz around his waist. 
and his body was like beryl, his face like the brilliance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and feet like the gleam of polished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. These are the things that they have been studied, have been immersed in. They know he's going to be born a virgin. There's a birth that's happening, not probably expecting to come into the room and see that scene, but I think that they are well aware of what the creator of the universe is said to look like. And no wonder they packed up gifts fit for a king. And they brought gold, and it represents his kingship. And they brought frankincense, which represents his deity. It's the purest incense that was burned in the temple. And they bring myrrh, which represents his humanity. So myrrh is an anesthetic when it's mixed with wine. He's going to feel in no pain. He's human, as he is also God. It's also an embalming agent. He's going to taste death. It represents his humanity. And I think something that also is worth mentioning here is it's not they're bringing, here's a little vial of myrrh, frankincense. They brought, they brought a lot for the king of kings. And it is said that not only did that provide financially for the family as they fled to Egypt, some even say that it provided through Jesus' ministry, which is a pretty incredible thought. It's a lot of gifts there. But their journey of faith, getting on those camels, riding 1,000 miles one way, it was not in vain. Because what they find, it's fruitful, right? I think it's interesting. They study the sky. They see the phenomenon there. There's a lot of faith being put in that, right? It's not like, let's drive 30 minutes, and you know, if we're wrong, you know, no harm, no foul. It takes a lot of faith to say, that's the sign that we've been told to look for all these years. 600 years from just Daniel to this point. It's a lot of generations telling those that are studying under them, these are the things you're looking for. It's a lot of faith being put in that. But they go and they follow the star. At some point it disappears. And they go into the local palace because, you know, a king's being bored. Surely the current king knows, you know, where the baby king is. But when they leave, the star appears again. They greatly rejoice and it moves. One thing that I read that I thought was really interesting that I liked was the thought of maybe that star is the Shekinah glory. Maybe that's that earthly manifestation of the presence of God. Remember when they're leaving Egypt and the Lord leads them by a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. That's the Shekinah. Maybe this too is the Shekinah glory leading them. But it, it moves. Stars aren't just, you know, moving like that. And it rests over the house. And when they walk in, they fall on their face and just worship. Rightly so. They see this little toddler and they just fall flat on their face and worship. Eugene Peterson says something 
that is so good in regards to this. Faith is a long walk in the same direction. No doubt, a thousand miles long walk in the same direction. Isn't that true of us though? We stand between the two advents. They were told to look for a star, but we too have signs that we're to look for. There's the scripture that says that his second coming would come like a thief in the night, but that's for those who aren't paying attention. We have things that we're told also to study, to immerse ourselves in and look forward in faith, to set our faces like flint and just hold fast to the second coming. Jesus is not only real, but he's coming again. And my hope is founded in him. My salvation is secure because of the cross. My hope of heaven it's secure because of his resurrection. We believe that too in faith. And I just was thinking about the great chapter of faith in Hebrews 11. And you know, it starts out with, now faith is the reality of what is hoped for and the proof of what is not seen. And we don't see him, right? We don't see him in the flesh here. And yet, we have this faith, and I thought of Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. He's, he is faithful to help us run that race. He's faithful to revive us when our faith is weak. We get to cry out and say, like the disciples, I believe, Lord, but help my unbelief. God, he so meets us in that. And he helps us to walk faithfully That's that long walk in the same direction, just like the wise men to help us keep our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. That's the joy of having the Holy Spirit in our hearts, right? In our lives. It's one of the joys. He helps us. He is the helper. And I love that the Lord, you know, he says, seek me and you will find me. The wise men sought him and they found him. Us too. If we would seek him with all our hearts, he is faithful to reveal himself to us. And isn't that what he longs for? He longs for that intimate relationship. Like what Simeon had, like what Anna had, that we would place all our hope in the person of Jesus. As I was preparing, this is in closing. I didn't know if I was going to share this, but I felt like the Holy Spirit kept bringing it to mind. So I want, I want to... I want to be faithful to share this. I was thinking about a, um, a Christmas that I had a long time ago when I was a teenager. And I think I was about 15 years old. I loved being in my room, playing guitar, writing songs. It's my happy place. And I started hungering for an electric guitar. And specifically, I wanted a Gibson Les Paul. That's what I wanted. And I had a, um, a guitar catalog, and I found this specific Gibson Les Paul 
that was like this awesome teal green. It like was blue in one light and then green in the other. And I thought it was super cool. And I cut out a picture of it and I stuck it in my wallet. And I carried that around with me because back then I carried a chain wallet. Hot topic. (laughs) I put that in my wallet and I carried that on my person for almost a year. And Christmas comes around and I'm hoping, I'm hoping for an electric guitar. And he would really do. But that we open our Christmas presents that morning and there wasn't a guitar. And I'm going upstairs and I'm putting my things away and I'm, I'm confessing to the Lord. I felt so bad for feeling bummed that my hope didn't come to fruition. I didn't get a guitar that Christmas. I felt so bad for feeling that way because I'm looking around, I'm like, I don't deserve any of it. And all these things are so sweet and kind. My family thought of these things for me. And so I'm putting things away and probably 30 minutes goes by. And my dad downstairs just goes, hey, Crystal, there's something else down here. And I just thought I left something behind. And so I come, come on downstairs and I turn the corner And my dad's standing next to the kitchen table, and there's a guitar case on it. And I just was like, oh, my gosh. Just jaw drop, tears start coming. And I come over, and I unlock the case, and I lift the top. And there in that case is the guitar I'd been carrying around in my wallet for like a year. And I looked at my dad. I had never shown him that picture. And I looked at him, and I said, how did you know? Did you know I've been carrying around this picture? This is the one I've been hoping for. And he said, I didn't know. I just thought it looked like you. And maybe that's really simple, like overly simple. But like we all have things that we carry around in our hearts. We all as humanity have things that we carry around in our hearts and we hope for. And God's just reaching out his hand saying, Will you trust me? Will you put your hope in Jesus? Because he really is the answer for everything that your heart longs for. It's so much more than, well, I'd love to have this job, or I'd love to have a spouse, or I'd love to have... Those things are valid, and we should hope in things, and we should bring our hopes to Jesus. But even beyond all of that, Jesus is our hope. He is the hope of glory. And I just know, I know that I know that I know that if we go all in with the faith that we've been talking about, that faith of Joseph, and we hold fast to him with the faith of Simeon and Anna, and we serve him with the faith of Mary, and we seek him with the diligence of the wise men, that who we are sure to find will cause us to to fall on our faces in worship with joy and wonder as the wise men did. And we will worship him with all that we are and all that we have. So let's pray. Jesus, it really is astounding that you would leave your throne in heaven And you would be born among us, like us, with flesh and bone. And you would go to the cross to redeem us back to the Father. And you would rise again to give us hope of eternity. 
Lord, help us to walk faithful to that reality. Help us to hold fast to you. Help us to seek you with all of our heart, to love you with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength, because you're worthy of it, Lord. And thank you that it is a promise to us that if we seek you with all our hearts, that you will be found. Would you give us the faith to seek you with all that we are? We love you, Jesus, and in your name we pray.